we are going to be in Acts chapter 5. And um, I told you last week, uh, as we were walking through it, I was going to major kind of on the beginning and the end of the narrative, and not so much in the middle, uh, because right in the middle of this narrative, we have this, this statement that's uh, oft repeated in the narrative of Acts, um, we must obey God rather than men, or we must fear God rather than men. And, uh, and so I haven't really dealt really too much with that other than just uh, poking at it here and there as we've, as we've hit it. And uh, this comes up all the time. And um, wh- whether you recognize it or not, um, the, your, your major issue, okay, from now and this going forward, is not going to be whether or not you will have to face down Congress and make the right choices. It is in the everyday faithfulness of applying this in your life. Does that make sense? So I know the big, the big question that you probably want to have, uh, because the way that it's presented is, well, if it's me versus the man, it's me versus the man, the proverbial government man, and he's telling me what to do, you know, what do I do in that case? And, and we, yes, there's a there's a big, huge application there that we want to talk about, but that's not the one that you will most often encounter. What you will most often encounter is uh, whether or not you are exemplifying the fear of God in your life or the fear of men. Okay? And uh, with that being said, um, we'll be uh, going through the narrative in Acts uh, 5, verses 17 through 32 this morning. Uh, we won't go all the way again to 42. And essentially... Um, focusing on the, the necessity of our lives embracing this uh, simple three-word phrase that I told you last week was uh, important, which is what? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Uh, so let's pray and uh, see uh, what kind of time I have left to just hammer this out because uh, I have so much notes. And uh, don't be scared, but um, I, I think uh, there's good truth for us today. And uh, I'm excited. So, Father, uh, I pray this morning that as we come um, before your word, that we would do it with humility. Um, We bring a lot of uh, presuppositions, a lot of filters, a lot of um, things, baggage to this uh, text. So, God, I pray that you would help us to think clearly as um, members of your kingdom, as your people who are submitted to your rule and reign, and that we would see it advanced um, not just in the world outside, but in our own lives. So God, pray that you would do that work um, this morning by your word, in our hearts, and by your spirit um, for us. So Father, I pray that you would um, keep me from speaking any error or opinion this morning, that it would just be your word and truth that we need to hear, um, that it would shape us, form us, and mold us. God, give us the ability and equipment to do that. That's the uh, eyes that you give us to see what's true, ears to receive what you would say and discern what's right, and hearts that are humble and soft to receive it in ourselves. We love you. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, I'm, I'm debating what's best to do uh, first. If you're a note taker, great. If you're not, that's okay. Um, it's just easier for me sometimes to, um, to write things so that it's visual. And, uh, and when I don't have a TV screen right next to me, even doing slides, and then I'm like constantly referring to this thing that doesn't exist. So I'll be pointing at things, and you're just like, what is he talking about? So uh, the reason why I'm doing it this way is just to, to helpfully maybe in a pictorial way, show you uh, what, I'm, what I'm trying to draw out of the text. And so um, let's read together, uh, starting in um, chapter 5 and in uh, verse um, 17 of uh, Acts. And then we're going to end up jumping over to another major text that will play a big role this morning, um, but lest I get ahead of myself. Are you ready? Okay. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles, and they put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors, and they brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came, and those who were with him, 
they called together the council, the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering uh, what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and they're teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, Now we strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. And God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to all those who obey him. Okay, so there are clearly situations in our life where um, we have a clash of authority. There's, there's something presented, and uh, one authority says one thing, and we feel that we should do something else. And lest we take this text and the other times it's mentioned in the book of Acts, sort of be this blank check that says, if, if there's at any point something that you feel in your Christian conviction that contradicts um, what the authorities would say, then you are free to do otherwise under the the category of, well, I must obey God rather than man. Uh, that's, too, that's too broad. And, uh, and you and me, we're, we're not good enough at defining uh, that to, to restrict it in, in a way that's, that's useful. And so um, I, I know that I won't be able to resolve all of this for you today, but my hope is to build um, a, a watershed, right? That, that you need to have in place the definitive boundary on which to make the kinds of decisions that will help you apply this for yourself when they're presented for you. So it's not that I can cover all of it in its exhaustive entirety, but that we, we would put in place the main thing so that we'd understand the principle underlying how to discern when we can say we must obey God rather than men. Or when we must come and then obey the rest of uh, some texts of scripture that say things like obey the authorities. And uh, God has put them in place for your good and for your benefit. And so uh, those things aren't at odds. Um, they're only um, there to help us from, from using this kind of text to just say, well, we can do whatever we want under the name of Christian freedom uh, because Jesus is Lord and just Jesus is our king and we'll do whatever we please as our highest um, loyalty, our highest allegiance. So um, look with me real quick um, at, at what's happening. And then I kind of want to, restate it in a way that would be more helpful. Because uh, what's happening to the apostles uh, here in this, this text is, is not really relatable like to your everyday, right? So, so look, the, the high priest rose up and all that are with him, that, that's the, the party of the Sadducees. And they're upset about what's going on and they arrest the apostles and they put them in prison. Um, regardless of uh, if it's then or now, if the authorities put you in prison, uh, law pretty much says you're going to stay in prison. Why? Because that's the law of the land. And prison does something effective. And it's, it's, uh, it's there to deter bad behavior. Right? But that doesn't always uh, make everything nice, cut, and dried, and clean. Because sometimes you could be falsely accused. Right? Or uh, in this case, uh, falsely imprisoned. Or imprisoned for something uh, with, with, with false charges. And so... I want you to notice here that the, the root of the problem is not a, a religious disagreement, okay? Um, here's what I mean. <clears throat> Last week, this is not a debate around like secondary issues. The primary issue here is that the, the party of the Sadducees and all of the ruling council, it says, what are they? They're filled with jealousy. That's, that's the main problem. And how do you put that in a modern context? Well, essentially what they're afraid of is the, the threat to their power, the threat to their authority. And so in this, you, you would see um, the opposition, any opposition to the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God, comes in this format because it is a threat 
inherently to the kingdom of men, right? So when we say something like, Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done, uh, that has an implication, which is what? The kingdom of man and the kingdom of my will must go. It must decrease. You must advance and, and rule and reign over all other things. And so what this is doing is effectively separating the two camps that I tried to uh, point out last week. It's not, there's no, there's no middle ground. It is your kingdom of God and then all opposition to that. And so what Jesus does at the Great Commission if you just want to rewind to the beginning of Acts or the end of Luke, right? he gathers all the apostles together and he says, look, all authority is given to me. And under that statement, all authority, heaven, earth, it's mine. Because of that, go and advance the kingdom. So this is what we're doing. We're advancing the kingdom. And what that does effectively then is encroach on the gates of what? Hell. No, no. The gates of hell. Right? What does he say? The gates of hell cannot stand against what? The kingdom of, of the Lord advancing. So uh, what you need to see is that it's the kingdom of hell that opposes the kingdom of heaven advancing. And um, this drives all, all opposition to the kingdom. So when you read here that they're filled with jealousy and uh, particularly their, their own um, clout or their power, this is uh, a threat to the kingdom of men. And so... Um, what does that mean in, in today's terms? Well, if you want to look at it like uh, the, the high priest being um, the, the city council and the city government, because there's, there's still a, a ruler that's higher to them, but they then assemble um, a bigger council in, um, let me see, I'm sorry, verse, um, they, they gather the captain of the temple in 24, and... Um, they assemble the council to question them, and they, and they say uh, in 27, uh, they set them before this council, and because this is the, the Sanhedrin, which is the, the ruling, not just religious body, but also the, the corporate body, uh, political influence over Israel. It doesn't get higher than this in the kingdom of Israel. Now, they're subservient as a, a, a kingdom within the empire of Rome. So obviously what Rome has to say about things matters too, but uh, in terms of this being like um, basically Congress or, or the Senate or something like that, this is the level that this rises to. And um, we need to see that um, w there's, there's different levels of authority, but it's, all, it's, it's in the same sphere. And so I mentioned this before, but um, we need to talk about um, spheres of authority because when these things come into contact with one another, um, it's our, our best method for discerning what it is that we ought to obey or what we ought to respond or how we ought to respond. Um, so just as you're sort of perusing the narrative here, take note of the, the different authorities that are mentioned. And they're mentioned on purpose because they're all falling not under the some some third category, but in the category of people that are serving, essentially, the, the kingdom of hell. And so, um, uh, spheres of authority, there's, there's different ways of, uh, of, of breaking this out. Uh, most scholars or theologians or however you want to put that will agree on three primary spheres and then there's one other one that kind of gets floated around. But um, essentially it's this, it's that God has put in place... Um, Uh, areas or, or um, categories under which the authority is to be exerted. And so uh, if you want to um, think about this, primary one is the, the governance of self. That's uh, you have autonomy, um, you're responsible for what it is that you do, and somebody outside of you telling you how to believe or what to think, uh, what's right and wrong, uh, that would be an encroachment on that sphere. And then you have uh, family. There's a authority structure uh, put in place for the family that God has designed for our good and for the flourishing of families. And um, he's also put in place a, a structure for the church and uh, how the church is to be led and what authority uh, speaks to the church, what's right and wrong and what we follow and how we listen. And then finally, you have this this fear that uh, is not representative of the place and size that it takes in our life, but civil authority. Now, God has designed civil authority for a good purpose. That's anything political or um, anything that's going to fall under the category that's not church, family, or self. 
Okay? And um, with that being said, the primary text that is appealed to uh, because it speaks most directly to it is Romans 13. So if you would, flip over to Romans 13. And uh, I want to read for you um, this, this text. And uh, just let it sit for a second. And the apparent... Um, clash of what we just said. We must obey God rather than men. That God has designed uh, for um, human flourishing different spheres of authority. And uh, how do those work themselves out? Well, in Romans chapter 13, uh, Paul addresses this explicitly. And it's written to uh, those in Rome. So helpfully, that's, that's good for us. Why? Because um, th- this is taking place in the Roman Empire. So it's not like he's addressing some other situation that's uh, unrelatable to what's happening to the apostles. So um, I'm just going to start in verse 1 and uh, listen. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Okay? That's, that's essentially what, what I just laid out. That there is no authority other than what God intends and what has been instituted, uh, it exists by, by God's hand. So therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive uh, his approval. For he is, listen, God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath in the wrongdoer. Therefore, uh, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God. Attending to this very thing, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes, to whom taxes are owed. Revenue, to whom revenue is owed. Respect, to whom respect is owed. And honor, to whom honor is owed. Um, let's stop there for a second. So uh, it, it says taxes and then it says revenue. The, the word there is tribute. And uh, whether you like it or not, this is pretty categorical. And it's saying, look, God has put authorities in place for your good. Uh, it says they, they're a deterrent to bad behavior. They affirm what's uh, right. And they bear the sword so that they may punish uh, wrongdoing. And so, um, the question that uh, we have then is, uh, when we see this in contradiction then, or when, we, when this uh, seems to present itself, where we have the apostles who, uh, by the rule of law, right, by the authorities that are in place, uh, by the word of Paul here, would be the authorities that God has put in place for the benefit of the apostles and for the benefit of Israel are being defied, right? They escape jail, they uh, are held before the council. They have been commanded with a mandate, basically, a command uh, not to preach in the name. And effectively, they say, look, we're not going to obey what it is that, uh, that you're telling us. And so, like I said, this is, not a, this is not a situation that necessarily presents itself in the same way. Nobody's drug you before Congress to say, you know, why are you disobeying this particular thing? So, um, how does this apply? Well, let me uh, walk through this. And um, I think we, we can sort it out with, with three criteria, okay? And uh, it could be more expansive than that, but I think if we narrow it down to three, three criteria, um, we can sort out most situations. So um, let's first walk through um, the context here. So Romans 13 is not an endorsement of whatever oppressive, tyrannical, authoritative ruler might decide to come up with, and that we must then submit to that in the name of obeying God. Uh, there's a lot of reasons for that, but first of all, the, the wrong baseline to think about any of this is to think about it in terms of 2022 uh, democracy in a constitutional republic, right? These are not written, these words are not written in that context, but that doesn't mean that they don't apply, excuse me. The things that we conflate with our rights and privileges of being an American don't, don't always overlay what it is that, um, that we should assert our rights and disobey authorities. And that's the uncomfortable 
truth that you need to hear this morning. Because <laughs> you as an American who's been given lots of rights and lots of freedoms, and we would say, well, if somebody encroaches on those freedoms in any way, well, I'm, I'm going to stand on that and defy them. What this text, Romans 13, is doing is telling you, uh, that's not your right. In, in the name of the Lord and for your conscience, you, you need to submit to the authorities that are there. If it's just about your rights as an American. Now, with that being said, there's a, there's a caveat on there, but I'm not going to resolve that for you just straight away. So whether it's the Roman Empire or Communist China or the United States, the baseline for authority is not the government structures that are currently in place, right? What, what you have to presume over all of this is first of all this, that Jesus is Lord. And, and that's more than a statement about the fact that we trust him as God. It means that he is the good king under which that we live as our highest obedience and all other structures under him um, are going to fail to live up to, to what Jesus is as king. But that doesn't mean that we don't live in a way that exemplifies um, obedience to that. Now, this is not categorical obedience to whatever authority is in place. And here's why that fails. If Romans 13 was simply um, the blank check for fiat kind of obedience, that any dictation that comes out from an authority that's higher than you, you must obey, um, then effectively the church would be obedient out of existence. Because all it would take is for somebody in authority to say, well, I don't want you to be a church anymore. And we go, well, in the name of the Lord, we must obey. And so then we just cease to be as a church. Do you see the problem there? So, so clearly, it's, it's a self-defeating um, problem. So the, the church can't obey this text in the sense of putting itself out of existence. And so um, this, uh, this becomes a broader um, category of, of understanding uh, sort of a hierarchy or t uh, a tiering of what kind of authorities we should obey and when we ought to understand them contradicting the, this statement that Jesus is Lord. And so I mentioned sort of... Um, Three criteria. And so the first one comes under this, this spheres of authority, right? So the first one is the spheres of authority. That when the authority being exerted transgresses or, or crosses over the authority in one sphere as God has designed it, that's your first indication. Not that you should disobey, but there's a red flag, and it's a pretty big one. So what, rather than leaving that in like big generalities, let me be specific. Okay, so in the authority of self is pretty self-explanatory, and that's the one that kind of doesn't get mentioned as often. Some people leave it off, but family's pretty obvious. That um, God has designed the family to operate in such a way that um, other people and other people's families don't come. Like I can't knock on Dave's door and say, "Dave, I'm here to discipline your kids." Uh, and uh, you're raising him wrong. And, and here's, and even if Dave is raising his kids wrong, objectively, by God's definition, it is not my, it is not my right to transgress this self-governing sphere over into the realm of family. Now you're like, well, that one's not as clear. Well, neither is it okay for me as the pastor of the church to come, knock, knock, knock. Dave, the church says, Here's how you need to raise your kids. It is not the church's job to dictate to Dave how to raise his kids. So that when uh, uh, one sphere is overlapping in the sense of giving um, right and wrong kind of definitions about what you can and cannot do or should or should not do, that's the, the, the overlapping or the transgressing or the going outside of the intended function for that authority. Does that make sense? Now, here's where this gets a little tricky. Um, because it's convenient, the, the church has allowed this civil sphere to grow in, in unchecked ways. And here's how they've done that. Because God says that the, the, it's the family's job to train your child in the way that he should go and to teach them and to educate them. What became sort of more expedient and better for the economy if we could send our kids to school, right? We can work longer days and, uh, and it's safer and it's good and they'll get an education. And so who took over this, this thing that God had said was under the family's jurisdiction? Now, whether it's right or wrong that they're doing it, the point is they now have the authority and we've allowed them to say, well, this is not just um, their responsibility to educate kids, but they're going to 
in the process of educating our children, tell them what's what? Right and wrong. And so you see the problem of encroaching outside of the intended sphere. Well, in the same way, well, in, the, in the family, um, we've allowed the government to define what marriage is. Well, God says the marriage is the union of uh, a man and a woman in covenant uh, promise till death do us part. And we've said, oh, well, there's such thing as a civil union, and here's what that looks like, and here's the tax benefits. So, uh, for, for whatever reasons, this, we, we've sort of not really worried about that fact that those are encroaching. Does that make sense? Okay? So, just in, in any case, you need to have a, a pretty clear definition of the fact that God has intended a, a structure for every sphere of authority that does two things. Affirms what is good and disciplines what's bad. Right? Affirms what's good and disciplines. That's, pre, that's pretty straightforward. God wants to affirm his, his law, what it's right, and to um, oppose what's wrong or discipline what's wrong. Well, in the church, that looks like um, teaching God's word and helping you understand what that looks like. That's, and God has put a leadership structure in place to do that. Well, I, I have, there's a plurality of elders, elders that should lead the church. But guess what? We're just um, under, under shepherds under the true shepherd, who Christ is the head of the church. So truly, uh, Christ is what? Lord. And he's the head of the church. But also, he's the head of the family. And he's the head of self. So Christ is over all of these things. Okay. Lest I get too far into the weeds. You can see that in each area, there's a structure in place that's supposed to affirm what's good and discipline what's bad. Does that make sense? Now, occasionally those things go outside of that sphere, but that's sort of the first criteria of whether or not I need to say, in this case, I must obey God rather than man. Is this, is this a, a condition or a dictation to me that's transgressing the sphere of authority in which it's appropriately supposed to be placed? That's the first thing. Um, so we see that. Look, in uh, Romans 14... He, or excuse me, 13. He, he's talking about that all, all authorities are there and um, whoever resists authorities, resists what God has appointed. Um, it's really important that you make the distinction that it's talking about the categories there, not the individuals. It does get down to individuals. Okay? So here's what I mean by that. Um, when, when God has said there's a king there to help protect you, to, to rule over the people... That's what he means there. To, to resist that authority is to resist what God has put in place. Uh, or we, we should say it as his, his design for that thing. But then it says, um, helpfully in verse 3, look. Why? The one who's in authority, to do what is good and you receive his approval. He's a servant for your good. But if you do what's wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. This is, uh, comes out again uh, in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, and then in 3, which we read uh, last week. Do not be surprised by the fiery trials. But before he talks about the fiery trials and suffering for the name of Christ, he says, be subject to all authorities. This is the same guy that's going to be killed by those same authorities. Why? Because if you're doing what's good and you're suffering for doing what's right, that's okay. So you, you have to create a category in your mind for um, suffering righteously and suffering for the name of Christ. And uh, that's, that's where we, we tend to get ourselves in the most trouble because of our, uh, sort of our American sense of freedom and autonomy um, that we are to submit for as long as we can, as much as we can, conceding all that we can, uh, even at great cost to ourselves in the name of Christ, even if it's... Uh, painful, even if it's costly, uh, for the reason that we do it for our conscience and because it's what God has put in place. Primarily because uh, God is using those situations as witnesses uh, in those situations to who he is. So uh, I, I, I ran into that last week, but um, if you were to, uh, I don't have time to, this morning, so I'm just going to assert it and you'll have to trust me, but go back and read it later. So if you, if you were to kind of back up in the, in the flow of thought from what's happening in Romans 13 and just look at 12 and 14. So uh, just before this, um, Paul is talking about living, uh, being a living sacrifice all through um, chapter 12. And then he's talking about the marks uh, of being a, a, a true Christian. And he says, like, be at peace with everybody. Fulfill the law in love. Submit, submit all of your rights. You should love your neighbor as yourself. And then look at... Um, Chapter 14, if you're still there in Romans, he begins to talk about the same idea 
of authorities and, and listening to, um, I guess, dictation, if you want to say it that way, within the context of the church. But he's doing it on, on uh, passing judgment on one another. And um, so we need, to, we need to talk about this real quick because uh, this is important. So it's, it's not just that outside, out there, the government might one day come up with something that would transgress the, the word of God. And um, it's that within uh, our everyday lives, even within the church, we, we run against things where we have a question of, well, do I, I obey this for the sake of somebody else, even at great cost to me? Or uh, should I assert, you know, my, my rights? And that's really uh, what Paul is addressing in chapter 14. And so it's about uh, the fear of man, or the fear of God, and with, within the context of the church. And so, I, I think most of, listen really carefully, because this could get dicey, and I don't want it to. Most of the, the controversy within the church is going to fall under this Romans 14, not Romans 13. The clear thing about Romans 13 is uh, no, nobody would say, if communist China says we're a closed country, and we don't want any Christians over here evangelizing, and you can't give out Bibles. No, nobody would say, in the name of obedience to authority, the church should not go evangelize in China. I've not heard that argument made. Now, over the last two years, when, when the authorities locally began to respond to this health crisis of COVID, there was dictations made that fell on everybody initially, which was closed down. Nobody really knew what was going on, right? And then there was sort of a double standard, which was different for different areas of the country, right? And uh, here's what I mean by that. It was like okay for liquor stores and weed shops and whatever else to be open, but they still wanted the church to be closed. You remember this, okay? Now, where, where this became uh, a problem was because we would look at things like Hebrews chapter 10, which is like, don't neglect the, the need to come together. And so we're saying, well, how long do we allow uh, the unknown to prevent us from being obedient to what God has said? And we met as elders, and we kind of said, look, it feels like uh, we shouldn't do this for very long because they're not willing to give us uh, an end date. And so lest we go back and relive the last two years and 10 decades is what it felt like. Um, uh, the, the point is that that seemed to be less clear than this other thing where it was, if, if you talk about some other government where they were saying, hey, we don't want Christians here. And I think most confessing Christians here in America would go, yeah, we should go to China, even though that would disobey the authorities in that area. They would use Romans 13 to say, hey, you guys need to obey whatever it is that the authorities say. And so then we had this rub, which I think actually pushes it into the second, the second chapter here, which is 14, which is what do you do when somebody has a conscience for one thing and you have a conscience otherwise, right? So now you see a, a, a sort of a secondary level of conflict, which is not just, um, it clearly says, you know, do not steal and I'm being commanded to steal by my boss, right? I can say I must obey God rather than man in that case. That's, that's a clear cut one, but it seems to be less clear in these, in these other ones. And so uh, most of the recent issues, I believe, fall somewhat under Christian conscience, but in the same way that if you obey all authorities out of existence, you, you can't uh, obey all consciences out of existence. And here's what I mean by that. If, if one person says, well, I think that we ought to obey the authorities because that's the safest thing to do. It, you know, we just don't know, you know? And uh, so, so we ought to do that. And I have, a, I have a strong conviction on that. And then they go one further and say, because that's the way that we love our neighbor. And if you want to just look at the text, that's, that's basically what's underlying the problem here is this love of neighbor uh, charge. And so um, this person has a strong conviction about it. Now, Paul here in chapter 14 is talking about meat sacrificed to idols. And we're like, that's not something you deal with every day. Well, you do deal with people though that have a strong conviction about the way that I love my neighbor is by the church not meeting or the church masking up or the church X, Y, and Z. Are you with me? 
Okay? So here's, here's where this becomes an issue. Well, if we always obey um, the consciences of those who would object, we would effectively obey ourselves out of existence or out of meaning. And so there's, there's got to be a, a distinction here somewhere. And um, Christ is, is the head of the church, and he has designed a, a structure in place. But that doesn't mean that we always get it perfect or right. But um, lest you, uh, let me just stop for a second, because I'm, like so, I'm like a squirrel right now, or whatever. I'm trying to go 10 different directions. So let me just read what I have so that it's clear, because I know it's clear on here, okay? So, um, the sphere of the, the authority of the church being transgressed by civil entities is that first red flag. So, it, it really doesn't matter whether or not the objection is, is true or not. So, if, if, if we stand in opposition to one another and you say, hey, the right thing to do is not me and I say the right thing to do is me and you say, well, the authorities have said the right thing to do is to not me because what happens if you get me sick in X, Y, and Z, right? So, so there's their, their grounds for their argument and I say that argument doesn't matter even if it's, even if it's 100% true. Why? Because it first transgresses the authority of civil entities to say whether or not the church meets. Does that make sense? And that's, that has to be the, the, uh, a primary layer, if you will, okay? So, um, I need to give credit where, where credit is due. Um, R.C. Sproul has a much fuller treatment of this under the, the category or the, the, the heading, the subject, called tyranny, tyranny of the weaker brother. The tyranny of the weaker brother. So, in chapter 14, you have somebody who's compelled that the, the weaker brother in this uh, chapter is the one who only eats vegetables, right? And amen to that. That would be the weaker brother, would it not be? Just kidding. All right. So, sorry if you're vegetarian. Uh, so, so, in that sense, he's like, look, this, this guy's got an objection with it. And he says, you know, for the sake of conscience, like, um, be, be submissive. Like, just don't eat the meat around them. And there's an important reason why you ought not to eat the meat. And it's not to satisfy their objection. It's not to satisfy their objection. He says, He's going on to talk about, uh, in verse 5, one, one esteems one day better than the other. Um, the one who observes one day, observes it to the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. And he gives thanks to God. Uh, listen, verse 7, no one lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For we live, uh, excuse me, for if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For this, for to this end, Christ died, lived again, that he might be the Lord of both, the living and the dead. So he says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do, you why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. It is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee what, will bow to me and every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account. So um, all of this was about um, scandalizing, uh, scandalizing the, the brother. And I'm trying to find it here. Look in verse 15 of chapter, uh, chapter 14 of Romans. Um, if your brother's grieved by what you eat, um, you're no longer walking in love. Uh, don't, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died, and, and um, do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Um, so he, he says this, essentially. It revolves around the issue of sin. So that's the second thing. And, and effectively, it's this. Um, is what I'm doing or what, it, what I'm asserting is the right thing or what I'm against or saying we ought to do is the wrong thing or the right thing? Is this causing somebody else by me exercising what I believe is right or what God has led me to causing someone to sin? Causing them to stumble into sin? Affirming sin or affirming sinners? So anything that revolves around the issue of sin, that's what Paul has in mind, not about, primarily about conscience. Because we can offend, if we, if we were all dictated, I don't take this statement for what it's not meant to mean. If we dictate to the smallest common denominator, um, 
then we would bind people's consciences to all kinds of ridiculous things. The reason why Paul presents it this way as the weaker brother is the one who's less mature, who's not understood. He says the, the meat sacrificed to idol is nothing. The idol is nothing. It doesn't matter. But he says, but if for the sake of their conscience, they have something against it, don't, don't eat the meat and cause them to stumble. So it's, it's, it's about stumbling into sin, not about stumbling in their conscience. And that's an important designation. So, um, Whether you fall, and it doesn't matter what side you fall on. So mask mandates, vaccinations. There's no, there's no biblical case on either side for you to say, this is right and that's wrong. This is wrong and that's right. There isn't one. And you may have conscience and you may have your Twitter or your Facebook or your CNN or your Fox News or your CDC or whatever you want. Those, those are not, not at stake when we're talking about what's, what's obedient to God. But we, all, we need to recognize, uncomfortably so, that sometimes what we present as the right thing to do under conscience and conviction is really more about fear. Right? It's, I, I don't want to get sick. I fear getting sick. And so we ought to be just as safe as we possibly can. Well, that's true. You could get in an accident on the way home, guys. So should we not drive anywhere? So, so, so the argument can be made no matter what about consciences. And that's why that's not a good line to draw. Does that make sense? The line has to be about sin. And so the problem has been that they've said, well, that's, that's unloving and you're, you're not loving your neighbor if you meet or you do this or that. And so on issues of conscience, we're told to give grace, to live in grace. You receive great grace, therefore you give as much ground as you can. That will eventually, though, fracture fellowship. At some point, you have to say, well, this is what the church is doing, and it would be wrong of the, 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 the either faction to handle that without grace. So here's what that would look like. If we say, you know what, the government says we can't meet, but we're going to do it anyway, and, uh, and you say, that's not safe. And we say, look, the leadership has decided this is the best course and we're just trying to be obedient. And you say, well, I'm not going to abide that. And if we say, that's fine, you can just go pound sand somewhere else. That would be wrong of the, the remaining faction to do that without grace, right? That's the wrong way to do it. The right way to do it is to say, look, here, to, to lay it out as much as you can, to make as many provisions as you can for the consciences of as many as you possibly can for the sake of the good of the whole. Right? That we could come and abide in, in unity. Because that's God's design. That it really doesn't, those kind of distinctions shouldn't matter that much. Oh, you're, you're a Democrat and you're a Republican. Well, we should be able to fellowship together. Okay? Now, those kinds of distinctions happen. And occasionally they fracture fellowship. It would also be wrong for the people that go, well, those idiots over there, you know, are disobeying God. And we're going to leave and we're going to paint in red paint on the way out. You know, those those guys are killing people or something, right? So it's, it's wrong either way to, to do it without grace. Does that make sense? Okay? Now, the final part of this I want to deal with is to overstate or understate your claim. Okay? And you will overstate your claim if you say, you know, if you, if you don't get vaccinated, you're not a Christian. Or if you did get vaccinated, you're not a Christian. You've overstated and you've staked the faith itself on some issue of conscience. And here's why that can be a problem. Because, listen, I'm going to give both sides just so that you don't wonder which side I'm on, okay? So, if it comes out, and every, whatever ridiculous, far-fetched conspiracy theory that you've heard or read is true about the vaccination, right? And somebody starts growing a third eye in their forehead. And, and you all along were like, if you don't get vaccinated, you're not a Christian. And you've been asserting this. And they're like, well, you know, it's just not safe. And it comes out, you know, they're actually making it out of aborted fetal tissue, so on and so forth. I mean, people have strong objections. And so you, you're staking a claim about the faith about this. You're not a Christian if you don't get vaccinated. Well, everything's true that they're saying that you don't believe is true. Come to find out you are wrong. The only, you've, you've left yourself no ground other than to leave the faith. You've overstaked your claim. Does that make sense? Okay, you could do it on the other side. You could say, well, if you do get vaccinated and you don't care about 
any of these other things. And you're wrong and you're, you've, you've overstaked your claim because if they're right and you're wrong and you're just conspiracy theory tinfoil hat guy, well, you've overstaked your claim and then you're left with no ground. There's, the, the grace is in the middle ground of saying, look, I'm not staking the faith on it. Does that make sense? And you have to make this distinction that it's not about what God has said. It's, it might be how you're convicted, but it can lead to a situation where churches are driven by trying to meet individual conscience standards and we're, we were not meant to do that. And so um, I think what, uh, what the last two years has exposed though is a lot of this encroachment without us really feeling it. And then when we started to feel it, we weren't sure how to sort it out well. And uh, it, it kind of was disorienting. And I think it also touched a lot of people in how long we've lived in comfort, right? And without really any objections or problems or difficulties. And um, the, just historically, the church has not erred on the side of safety in the name of love of others. They've erred on the side of, they, you know, when the, when the Black Plague struck, and everybody fled the cities, the Christians stayed in the cities. People were abandoning children in the streets and the churches were adopting the children and they were raising the kids. The church has typically been the ones to expose themselves to risk in the name of love. And so this, for whatever reason, COVID flipped that on its head and we said, well, we're going to be as far away from risk as we possibly can because God forbid we get sick. And in the name of the Lord, I say, well, we need to be careful about what we say God has or doesn't have for us in, in fear of him as king. Right? Okay. So I don't know how far off I am right now, but um, the last criteria I think you have, so you have, is it transgressing spheres? Is it causing somebody to sin? Or is it leading to sin? Is it affirming sin? And I don't think you can categorize vaccines or masks in that category. Okay. And then the last thing is um, obey versus be subject. Okay? It's actually worded very carefully in every passage where you'll find it. That it never says we must obey authorities. It says be subject to. So what's the distinction? What's the difference? Well, it's essentially... If I can put it in modern terms, it's obey God and let the chips fall where they may. Okay? And that chips fall where they may is the part of being subject to the authorities that have been put in place. So that if you come to a place where God has said something and you must be obedient to God and the authorities say something and you have to contradict that authority or you have to obey God as your higher authority, well, that might mean you get arrested. It might mean you get fined. And guess what? You go to jail. Or you pay that fine. And that's the subject part. B, B the, the Greek word there is hupotasso, okay? It's a compound word. And it basically means this, to come underneath the, the control of. Does that make sense? So that the, the laws of the land, the authorities, the, whatever they establish may be righteous and may be unrighteous. Your designation on what their righteousness or unrighteousness of their dictates um, matters not in subjection, it matters only in obedience. Do, do you see the difference? Okay? No, I didn't get enough nods there, so I'm going to be, I'm going to go further. Okay? Um, your boss says, I want you to do something that you know to be dishonest in some business practice. Okay? And you say, I'm not going to do that. Okay? Well, you've disobeyed your boss right? But to be subject to your boss means to, to reap the potential consequences of disobeying your boss, which might mean you get fired. Does that make sense? And so, so what that means is you must be subject to whatever happens in obedience. Does that make sense? So there's the, there's the distinction. Be subject to whatever authorities there are. Pay them honor. If they ask you for a tribute, if the tax is too high, it doesn't matter. So this is where we get this interesting, um, man, it really helps make a, a, a good in either subverting Rome or subverting God. And so they bring him a coin, right? Or they, they, 13 somewhere. Well, then they can charge him with 
uh, subversion to Rome, right? And he asks, well, whose image is on the coin? They say, well, Caesar's image. He says, well, then render to Caesar what's Caesar's and render to God's what's God's. And we go, how is that helpful? Well, effectively this way. Um, the, the point is the image on the coin. Is it, it's, it's, is it belong to Caesar because his image is on it? Yeah, okay. Well, what's God's image on? God's image is on you. God's image is in the church. So you render all of that to God. And so he divided this perfectly. The avoid is the cost, right? Whether it's pain or whether it's like literal money, right? And what Jesus does is he takes that equation to the Father. So whether it costs me everything or not, I've entrusted to God what's God and I've entrusted to Caesar what he wants. So that if they come and they demand everything from you, you willingly give that up. Even if it's controversial, we can fight about it later. I can still arm wrestle and thumb wrestle. And uh, I think I can win. But the plan, it's transcendent across whether we're democracy or uh, 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 what's the other word? Monarchy, right? It doesn't, it doesn't matter what um, Peter sort of asserts when he says this in uh, chapter 5. And here's where we'll end. What did you do? We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. You filled up Jerusalem with this teaching. This teaching. Verse 29. Peter and the apostles answer. We must obey God rather than man. Verse 29. Peter and the apostles answer. We must obey God rather than man. Why? Because the God of our fathers raised Jesus. He's raised him to, the, to his right hand. Do you see that? Uh, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand. The right hand is the seat of power. The place where you rule and reign effectively making this statement true now and forevermore. Jesus is Lord, right? So because of that, he's, he's exalted him, he's raised at the right hand, and he is leader and savior. And find yourself uh, poor, uh, poor and destitute, in prison, or otherwise in discomfort for obeying God. But you submit and praise the Lord that you were punished for doing what is righteous in the name of Christ. And I didn't quite, you know, walk through every inch of the text, but I, I think it's really important that we have this designation in place. Um, not because tomorrow you're, you're going to get a knock at the door from the authorities and say, you can't be a Christian. It's truth in your life, that Jesus is Lord. And he's not governing in your, in your life or in your family or in the church, holding, um, you know, issue with brothers and sisters of Christ on issues of conscience. Asserting them, here it is, Fox News or CNN or whoever you're getting your information from, to dictate to you not just what's true and false, but what you should and should not fear. Does that make sense? And, and uh, to fear God is to not have fear of man. And fear of man is a category. It's not just literally, I fear that person being bigger than me. It's anything that goes along with that, which is, I, I fear the loss of power. I fear the loss of money. I fear the loss of health. All of that falls under the, the kingdom of man, right? So uh, resonate, hopefully, in our hearts this morning to create a, a, a strong boundary and a strong allegiance. Um, it can be confused in the way that you lead them.